What is up, Filmalytics family? Welcome into another edition of the Filmalytics podcast. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined as always by Matt Nine. Today on the show, we will review what happened in week four, discuss the unfortunate injury situation surrounding Javante Williams and the Denver Broncos, what that means, get into some buys and sells. Of course, as you're listening, head on over to our social medias at Filmalytics underscore. Head on over to Filmalytics.org. And of course, subscribe to our premium content at Patreon.com backslash Filmalytics. All right, Matt. Uh, let's start here in week four with the Javante Williams injury. I think that was the big news of the week. We are both obviously Javante stands. I know we both had him as our RB one of the class. I feel like he was my first real, like my guy coming into the NFL as a rookie, um, you know, as like an analyst, he was, I had him higher than anybody I had seen until, you know, he started becoming a little bit trendier. Obviously uh, you had him as your RB one as well. So, we're both very, very high on Javante. This is a tough injury with no guarantees that he will ever be the same again, which is probably the worst part. Um, you know, it's tough as he was, like I said, kind of my guy from a fantasy standpoint. As a Broncos fan, it's tough. As a fan of Javante, it's tough. I have him in like, you know, a handful of leagues. That's tough. So, um I guess for you, I know you have him in some leagues. So what does it mean for Javante in the long run? And what should you be doing with him uh, for those for those of them out there who are rostering Javante Williams in Dynasty? I actually have 100% roster ship. I traded for my last share. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago. So, yeah. Um, I'm a little bummed. My RB, RB spots are looking a little thin across my leagues. But... I'm I'm mainly bummed for him. I really don't care about my fantasy teams because we didn't get get the full Javante experience this last year, and we were supposed to get it this year. And right, you know, leading up to halftime in the Vegas game, I, I believe I saw he had like a 95% snap share. I think he only came off the field for two plays in the first half. Like it really felt like it was starting to switch. Melvin Gordon fumbled. It took it back for a touchdown. Fourth fumble in four games. Um. Cecil LeMay, I, I believe I said his last name. Lammy. Lammy. Um, tweeted out today he was having a discussion with uh, Dwayne McFarlane. It said that he wouldn't have been shocked if Melvin Gordon had been released this week. Like it just felt like the staff, maybe that the organization, it was just ready for Javante. They had made the mistake of doing a timeshare. They just needed to move on. Javante was the guy. It just kind of felt like we were finally there. And then to get this injury is just. It's I'm I'm heartbroken for him mainly because I don't get to watch him play now. Like I said, I don't I don't really care about my fantasy teams. I just I just wanted to see him ball. That was that's kind of my thing because I know because he's not just an ordinary running back, you know. Like there, there's a special quality to him. His his ability to not be tackled is far and few between with most running backs. So yeah, I think that's really well said as far as just not getting to watch him it's that's the biggest bummer um Cecil Lamming can be a little bit hyperbolic I don't think they would have released Melvin but they were pissed after the latest fumble I mean four fumbles in four games and the one this weekend really turned that Raiders game I felt like um 
you know, the I was, Broncos had opportunities after that, but that really right. turned the tide of the game. I was mentioning to somebody else, you could argue Melvin Gordon has cost uh, the Broncos 12 points so far this season. He had the, the goal line fumble in Seattle week one. Now, Javante came in, you know, I believe it was the next player, two plays later, or maybe it was a separate drive, also fumbled on the goal line, but that's six points you didn't get. And then, and then Gordon had the fumble against the Raiders to get returned for six. So that's, that's a 12 point swing between two games. So it's tough. Four, four fumbles in four games is a lot and it's unacceptable. It is. It's, he becomes a liability at that point. So I know that the coaching staff was very displeased. He was basically benched after that. And I think, I mean, I think they were legitimately just going to kind of forget about him for now. Um, I don't know what, you know, it, it would have looked like going forward, but here we are. I do think Melvin is going to be the guy. I think, you know, for him, it's a good chance to kind of redeem himself. And I, I do think Melvin gets some hate because, well, well, from Broncos fans because they love Javante so much and same with the fantasy community, right? And Melvin kind of stood in the way, but Melvin's always been kind of an inefficient running back. So he's never been a favorite of mine from a fantasy standpoint, but, but since he's, since Melvin's been in Denver, you know, he's, he's really, he's very professional and he has the right mentality, work ethic, et cetera, I think. And he was pretty crushed after, I mean, he made himself available to the media, which is, you don't always get that after a game like that. He did. Granted, he didn't say a whole lot, but he made himself available. And I think he's the type of guy that can bounce back and, and you know, kind of redeem himself. So I think Melvin is the guy. There's a lot of buzz around Mike Boone. I do think Boone will be involved. I've always liked Boone, uh, but he didn't look great uh, on Sunday. And Melvin's going to be the goal line back for sure, 100%. So unless, you know, they eventually when they activate Latavius Murray, maybe, you know, it could shift towards him, but I imagine Melvin will get the first crack at that. So he's, I think he's by far the more valuable player, but we'll see what Mike Boone is able to do. Um, The other thing I'll mention is part of the reason Melvin, at least what I heard, part of the reason Melvin wasn't playing as much early on, perhaps the shift, like you had mentioned, but also with playing on Thursday night, there was a few guys that they were trying to kind of um, just keep a little fresher and keep their snap count low. So that was supposedly a part of it too. He did only have three carries, so he should be fresh for Thursday. Um, It's kind of a tough matchup, but if you need to play him, I think he'll be fresh and uh, could find the end zone. I think in the long run for Javante, I mean, this is pretty similar to what we saw with J.K. Dobbins, I think. I'm not a doctor, but the multi-ligament knee injury it takes a lot of work. It's a lot more than just an ACL tear. I think that's what people don't necessarily realize or understand. It's, 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 it's a lot worse than an, an ACL tear. And um, it can take, you know, a year and a half to come back. And even then, maybe not even at 100%. But it, it's kind of similar to J.K. Dobbins. So I would kind of have a similar expectation, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, I think for me... I would never have looked to sell Javante at all. I'm pretty open to it in, in my leagues now just because it, ju- it just becomes such a risk um, at this point, even if you're – I mean, if you're rebuilding and you can buy him on the cheap, I guess, but it's just such a risk with this, and I wouldn't be surprised now if – I mean, Gordon's contract's up after the year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they add – 
another back next year, whether that's in the draft or, or free agency. I mean, they, Javante probably won't be ready by week one next year, I wouldn't think. And so they'll probably look to add to the room. And then, you know, who knows what happens from there. I'm I'm hopeful because I love Javante um, and he's good enough. And, you know, he's, he's young, healthy, otherwise outside of this injury. So perhaps he can, you know, really come back from it. But it's definitely a question mark at this point. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Are you planning on holding all of your shares or do you think you'll be selling at all? No, I'm not. I'm not selling. Okay. I'm firmly holding. I mean, obviously, unless I get an offer that you can't say no to, no one's ever not available. But I don't think the price tag has gone down for me at all. And I really don't think it's going to change drastically. I mean, people have been selling. I've, I've seen posts on Twitter. People are still selling Javante for a first plus. So I don't I don't feel like the market is going to shift like dramatically enough to the point where you're going to be able to really get him for cheap, because as you alluded to, you know, youth is on his side. He's 22, he'll be 23 next year. And I think he's an interesting kind of player because he's a little bit like James Robinson in the sense like some of these guys truly rely on like speed and explosiveness and, you know, that I don't you know not lateral sure. you know what I mean yeah it's like you know the like, burst and agility yeah. and yeah totally so James Robinson has come back from this Achilles which is known to be a deal breaker basically for running backs now I understand Javante has you know a double uh ligament tear in his knee but you know his bread and butter was not really long speed his play style is similar to that of of Javante like i don't feel like he's going to lose any of his tackle breaking ability with this kind of in, uh injury so i think he comes back i i honestly i think he's ready for week 1 like i just i just do like i i think based on the, some of the stuff i read i think the ravens were just like extremely cautious with J.K. Dobbins, he probably could have played Week One, and they yeah, just he didn't. wanted to. He, yeah, yeah, and he looked good in some of those some of those videos during camp and the in the preseason. So, I think Javante is ready for Week One. Now, is he going to get a full workload? You know, to just Denver bring in somebody else to kind of you know ease him back in, so on and so forth. I, I you know, that's very possible. We have a a ways to go before we find that out, but I, I'm no. He's still a top five dynasty running back for me. I can't, I can't part with that. Not, not yet. If he was like 24 or 25, then yeah. But I mean, this, this guy still has, you know, assuming a hundred, a year and a half from now, right. He'll be 23 and a half. I mean, it's still two and a half, three years of premium fantasy running back production before the age of 26, assuming he does come back a hundred percent. So I think that's my concern is that he comes back and he's, you know, 85% of what he was, which is still good, but he plays with such physicality and I agree. That's a good point about his style. I think you're right. That's fair. But what about when he kind of puts his foot in the ground and lowers his shoulder? What if he's a little bit slower, a little bit weaker with that and gets pushed back instead of forward, you know, just things like that. But I agree that, um, I mean, I'm not, selling like low low on him i still want like a really strong return for him i think it's just i haven't moved him in any league and i'm i'm looking to see you know what's out there i'm I'm actually willing to trade him i should you know before before this i was he was basically untouchable right um you know unless it was a godfather offer so uh 
yeah, I think that's. I, kind I of... will say the one thing he does have on his side is the staff. And assuming that Hackett doesn't get fired, because, you know, right now I feel like anything is possible, uh, <laughs> they want him is well documented to be the guy. And they had massive plans. He was a core piece of this offense. So, yep. assuming this staff returns for 2023 and Javante can get on track, I really don't have any fear about him losing his job because of this. Yeah. That's uh that's fair enough. I'm just looking through some trades. Interestingly enough, like the first trade that comes up, it was for Dobbins and a third. Um so that feels like I need a I lost my guy. I need another running back on my contender kind of Yeah, thing. exactly. That's how I feel. Javante for Nick Chubb and Corey Davis, like that's a contender, like, you know, give me Chubb who's balling right now, but in a year or two, like that's clearly Javante. So I think that's kind of the majority of the moves that you you will see is like, you know, he's flipped for Austin Eckler or like that sort of thing. Um, but I don't, I mean, again, if I'm moving him, I probably want, if I'm a contender, I want something to help me now. And then also like a little something a, on the back end, like a young, like something that, yeah, yeah I can still be, have that youthfulness, youth and, uh, you know, a decent asset on the back end. So that's kind of where I'm at, but um, okay, let's, let's move on from this sad subject. What else uh, stood out to you in, in week four, Matt? There was, I mean, a lot happened. There was more close games. It seems like a lot of backup running backs, uh, really the last two weeks, a lot of backup running backs were inserted and had some big moments here and there. Uh, we had some big receiver performances. What, what stood out to you most in week four? Uh, I, I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers here. Kenny Pickett season, obviously. Uh, first round rookie quarterback. Now the starter for the Steelers uh, for the long term. Uh, when he entered the game, uh, George Pickens saw five targets. Deontay Johnson saw one. Uh, George Pickens had a 30% target share this weekend between both quarterbacks. And a what is that? It was like 45, 41%, something like that. When after Kenny Pickett came in the game, he had over 100 yards, uh, eight or nine total targets. The S new Steelers offense is going to be the triple P's. It used to be the triple B's with like Big that. Big Ben, uh, Bell, and AB, but now we got Pickett Pickens and Pat Fryermuth. So I, like I, I think it's the triple P's because both after Pickett entered the game, Fryermuth and Pickens were the basically the two target hogs. They took everything. And Pickett has that that I guess he he wants to throw to the middle of the field. Like I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. It's like, you know, Trubisky was always kind of looking towards the sideline, you know, checking it down. And and Pickett just he threw it over the middle, stood in the pocket, took shots and stuff like that. So I think that bodes really well for all pass catchers. But I guess the biggest thing that I'm interested to see now is that if, you know, that chemistry between Pickett and Pickens continues there was there's been some bold takes that i'm not entirely sure are that bold that pickens out targets Deontay from here on out for the rest of the year i think on the surface it looks bold but at the same time i just feel like you know this is a guy who didn't prep for this game at all right outside of just a little film study you know he didn't take any of the first team reps in practice he gets into the game and of his 13 attempts he throws five of them to pick to pickens like that, that says something about chemistry from training camp, friends in the locker room, et cetera, et cetera. So 
I'm excited for Pickens. He's he has obviously the potential now, as you know, we talked about before the season even started, how sometimes these rookie wide receivers could be league winners because they typically come on late. Pickens is now in that category. Like if he truly does command 30 the consistent 30% target share from Pickett, he could be a league winner. Yeah, absolutely. It, it I think he referenced it, but 33%. Uh he was targeted on 33% of his routes in the second half compared to 28.6 in the first half and 12.9% over the first three weeks. That was in the PFF write-up. So, um, I mean, and he, I, yeah. And he was seeing the targets from Trubisky too. So right. maybe it's just like the staff is like, can you guys please throw to 14? Yeah. I heard somebody reference that he was a little upset a couple weeks ago, but I never saw a story about it. Um, but then that was, right before he made that one-handed grab on uh, the whichever primetime, I think it was Thursday night game that they played, and then yeah. now we have this. So he's trending very much in the right direction. I don't think he'll out-target Deontay the rest of the way, but I would not be surprised if he has more, if he outproduces him. I, I think he could very well have more yardage and or more touchdowns and or more yardage. That's fair. So... But yeah. I think I think that was the biggest thing that stood out to me is now the Steelers offense looks functional and PFF uh, released their new weekly rankings of the offensive lines and the Steelers came in at 13. So O-line is not the issue there. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point in my in one of my leagues with Javante. I have Pickett and Pickens. And so I'm, as much as I'm sad to lose Javante, I'm absolutely thrilled to, to see that duo. If you don't have Pickens in Dynasty, he's I mean, everybody the, the the managers who have him probably aren't going to give him up, but it's worth checking in right now because it could be the last time um, he's affordable at all. So um, that that kind of was, you know, one of the things that stood out to me too, but and, just and that, to, what's that? I was going to say another thing we could talk about would be the Seahawks offense. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Um. First two weeks, uh, they ran 90 plays. In the past two weeks, they've run 131 plays. So the tempo of the offense has jumped dramatically from like bottom of the barrel plays per game to close towards the top of the league. And DK Metcalf has benefited from that tremendously along with the entire offense as a whole. And Geno Smith looks like a Hall of Fame quarterback. So if this can, you know, maintain itself, then... DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and all these guys are just going to be, you know, superstars turning basically great values from draft season. Cause I know a lot of people were fading the Seahawks offense as a whole, but maybe Pete Carroll has, has shifted his philosophy slightly. Yeah. That's really interesting. And Gino looks, I mean, gosh, he looks good, man. He, he really does. He's, it is kind of interesting when you think about, you know, he was a number one pick and, he went to a dysfunctional organization in the Jets, got hurt, and then, you know, kind of, I know he's had some starts and stuff, but it's not like he's ever really had an opportunity after that, you know, getting in a fight in the locker room and things like that. So it, it does make you wonder, like, is this guy actually good and just things didn't go his way and now he's in the right spot and the right situation. So it's interesting. Where, what would you do, or I guess where would you have Gino, like, rest of season quarterback rankings? just off the top of your head like see it's it's tough to say because the matchups seattle has had so far have been very beneficial 
And I know people will point to that and be like, oh, well, you know, DK's numbers are deflated by matchup. But I'm like, it's it's not the matchups that we're looking at. It's the pace of play that's helping here. So they get the Saints this weekend, and the schedule does get tougher. But I'd probably have him as a mid- to high-end QB2 the rest of the way. I'm not sure I could put him as a top-12 guy. Even though he's playing like that, I think there is some, you know, regression back down to earth, if you will. But he's definitely, you know, a solid option the rest of the way. Especially if you're uh, you stream quarterbacks week to week along with defenses and kickers and stuff like that, then he's definitely a consideration on those plus matchup weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's probably I'd probably have him around mid QB two as well. Um, one of the things that stood out to me was Josh Jacobs. Obviously, he played really well, but coming into the season, we were told that this would be a committee, and every sign pointed to that. Right, everything that we saw, heard, etc. Um, Josh Jacobs has 70 rush attempts through four games. The rest of the running backs have 11 or no, I'm sorry. The rest of the running backs have nine combined. That's it. Nine. Zamir hype, uh, Zamir white hype died quickly. It did. It really did. And I thought even on third downs, I mean, I thought Amir Abdullah, Brandon Bolden would be a lot more involved and they're getting some targets, but, uh, I mean, Jacobs leads the running back room in targets with 13. Bolden has five. Abdullah has two. So I think it's just the, I mean, I've always thought, <clears throat> excuse me, I've always thought Josh Jacobs was a really good player, but the usage is what I did not expect. And it's it's kind of cool to see because he's making the most of the opportunity. Now they already declined his fifth year option. That doesn't mean they can't re-sign him if they want to, but um Man, it wouldn't be surprising to see him get paid by, I mean, imagine him in like Buffalo. Yeah, there's a lot of places. Could take Moss Sanders' job in Philadelphia. Yeah, they could just switch. He's another guy that's that's been kind of interesting, but Jacobs really stood out to me. Um, T. Higgins stood out to me. There's been a lot of chatter on how, you know, people posting on Twitter about when him and Chase have shared the field, he's actually outproduced Jamar Chase, but I think, you know, let's just not overthink this. They're both wide receiver ones. They're and, and actually going back to last year, if you remember, he started slow the first few weeks and everybody was like, hey, you know, Chase is here. This was expected. If you remember, I was the one saying, like, look at his usage. It hasn't changed. He's still being treated as, you know, the wide receiver one in this offense. Be patient and look where we're at now. So I don't think it's surprising either way. That also doesn't mean that Chase isn't, doing his job or being a great play. Like they're both great. They're both wide receiver ones. They're both, you know, you can say one, a one B they're both, whatever. They're both wide receiver ones on their team. Like they're co-wide receiver. This offense with Joe Burrow, you know, and being as young as he is, this offense can support the two of them for the long haul. So, um, yes. One last thing that stood out to me, Kyle Pitts. He, yeah. Played, Whereas aware art thou cow pits? He played. Wait, I want to get this right and make sure I have it. But he was way out snapped by. I can't. I don't even know his teammate's name. Let me find it. Uh, uh, I don't even know how to say it either. But it's Parker Hesse, I guess. Played forty eight snaps. Pitts played thirty four. Uh, Pitts ran twelve routes, four targets. This offense just doesn't trust him. Um, is that is that it? Well, 
I think that's part of it. That's why his snaps aren't higher, but it's also their use his a dot. He's the highest a dot among all tight ends. Think about that. He's also his like catchable target rate is like in the thirties. You're asking Marcus Mariota, who's not an accurate thrower of the ball downfield to target Kyle Pitts, who you're using as a situational deep threat. Yeah, that doesn't work. That's not going to work. So I think we really need a quarterback change or for them to scheme up more touches for Pitts, which I don't know why they're not doing, just getting him more like manufactured type of touches and, you know, whatever it takes, like bubble screens, you know, just quick slants, like just easy stuff, man, to get him the ball uh, and get him going. But right now it's, it's tough. Speaking of tight ends fading into oblivion, what's going on in Denver? I think speaking of not trusting a tight end, they do not trust Alberto. Um, it, but like, in what regard? Like, I know, I know the talk in the preseason, like he's got to get better at pass, pass blocking and like just blocking in general, run blocking, whatever. But he's always been a really good pass catcher. Like he's a good athlete. So do they just not trust him in blocking to the point where they're like, nah, you're, you're done. Or is it just kind of like, eh, you just really don't fit what we want here. I think, well, I think it's a little both. I think it started with the blocking um, situation and they were kind of like mad on him coming in. Um, and then he did have a big drop in week, gosh, I can't, week two. Yeah, I think it was week two. He had a big drop. Um, and it it just, then they went to Sauber who made a really good catch. Eric Sauber's made a few nice grabs. And so they're like, I think they're just like, this guy's going to catch the ball and be reliable. Like, what are we doing here? So I think that's kind of how it is. And then they know that they have Dulcich coming. Obviously, the staff didn't draft Alberto. They're not really tied to him. They haven't, I don't know, lived in the, you know, Alberto world that that we were kind of in last year and, and stuff like that. But obviously, they know what he's capable of. So I am surprised. Um, but this is also why I was not necessarily in on him like I was a little reluctant on him but it is weird right because the coaching staff knew his limitations coming in and they knew like so it it just seems weird that they're not utilizing him more especially when they're struggling on offense right that's the other thing um particularly in the red zone but I think they just don't trust him on the field and if he's gonna drop the ball and uh, you know but I haven't heard of him like running the wrong route or like just doing like ridiculous things where he shouldn't be on the field. But I think they just don't, they just already kind of didn't fully trust him. And then he has a couple drops and it's like, Hey, like let's just roll with this other guy. So yeah, the whole offense feels dysfunctional right now. I guess the most interesting thing for me is when I wrote this about taxi squad candidates, I, you know, I'm a big Alberto guy. I always have been. And again, he's only 24. Like he's still developing. He's still learning. This is his first year of kind of really taking on that, you know, attempt to become a better blocker if you will so the story is definitely not written on him but Dolchich was one of the worst pass blockers in all of college football last year like like out of like 130 type prospects that were eligible to be drafted last year Titans he was I think he was like 127 if I remember that correctly he was like bottom 10 so I don't understand what they're going to get from him unless they're playing him in some sort of like slot wide receiver role and Eric Sabra is still, I guess, the main tight end. I, I don't know. It's just it just feels very bizarre on what they're trying to do here. I guess from the outside looking in, I'm sure they have a plan. Well, no, that's a good point. And I think that 
I imagine that is kind of their plan, right? But at the same time, why aren't they doing that with Alberto? You know, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. But I mean, at this point, if you have Alberto, you're—I mean, you're dropping him in redraft. But in dynasty, yeah. you just gotta hold and and hope that things turn around. Uh, I think that's that's kind of my big takeaway. So. Let's get into some buys and sells. I don't know if you have one off the top here that you're um, interested in pointing to. Sure. I'm I'm, I'm going to do something a little different. I don't want to buy a player. I want to buy an offense because I'm looking at the strength okay. of schedule for the rest of the way and bye weeks are starting to come up. Playoffs, you know, are going to be here before we know it. And I want to buy the Jacksonville offense. The rest of the way, the Jags have the fifth easiest schedule for a quarterback. They have the Easiest, the number one easiest schedule for running backs. They have the eighth easiest schedule for wide receivers and the easiest, the number one easiest schedule for tight ends. So the entire offense is going to face very easy defensive front and secondaries from here on out. And this is based off the first four weeks of the season. So we have a big enough sample size of four weeks that we can, you know, project out to a certain point of what these defenses will look like on a week-to-week basis. And Jacksonville has a very fortuitous schedule. Trevor Lawrence is not going to play in a a monsoon and fumble five times without his wide receiver two against one of the best defenses in the league every week. It's just not going to happen. Through the first three weeks of the season, he was arguably a top five quarterback in the league. And that's fantasy aside. I'm just talking EPA and CPOE. Like Trevor Lawrence has been fantastic this year. Christian Kirk is a very reliable, uh, really back-end wide receiver one. Evan Ingram sees his, and then James Robinson is balling. And then I think we have to be patient with Travis Etienne because, as I said many times, we have to treat this year as if if it was his rookie season. And those rookie running backs really kind of don't come on until about halfway through the year. So with their schedule being as good as it is, I think now might be a really good time to kind of go out and send some feelers for guys like Trevor Lawrence, James Robinson, especially Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram. I'm just, I I like the way that this offense is going. Doug Peterson has always been a pass first, pass heavy offense. Trevor Lawrence is playing well. And like I said, the schedule's easy from here on out. These could be really good playoff type players for your team. Yeah, I I agree. I've been trying to get Trevor Lawrence um, unsuccessfully in my in my super flex leagues, particularly. But um, I agree, Higgins or uh, Lawrence looks sharp. He looks at, like the coaching change is exactly what the doctor ordered. Exactly what we hoped it would be when we sat here and talked about it. Um, Christian Kirk, he was one of my guys prior to the season about we talked about guys who are you know undervalued he was going as like wide receiver 44 which is just wild thinking about it um i am a little worried on evan ingram he just it just seems like kind of same old with him and i was optimistic on him admittedly and he's just been mostly irrelevant um he did get eight targets in week two but he got four targets in week one eight in week two but then the last two weeks just three targets, one target. So four total in the last two weeks. Um, maybe that changes. I know that they got Swagnu, Jamal Agnew involved um, a lot last week, or, or I don't say a lot, but he scored two touchdowns. Are you interested in any of these pass catchers outside of um, Christian Kirk? Cause Zay Jones has been kind of good, but also like 
mean, he's seen a lot of volume when he's been healthy, but he hasn't done anything like crazy with it, but he's put up like good, solid PPR numbers. Marvin Jones is kind of, you know, on the back end. Uh, now Jamal Agnew's there. I, I don't know. Are you, cause I think the, obviously Lawrence Kirk, and then we like both of the running backs. So after that, I don't know, is there another pass catcher or guy that, like, are you, in, I know you mentioned Evan Ingram, but are you interested in, really interested in him or Agnew or Marvin Jones or Zay Jones? I like Zay Jones if the price is right. And if, especially if he's just sitting there on the waiver wire, that's, that's the yeah. one guy I'd be interested in. I do find it interesting how Zay Jones was out. And instead of Christian Kirk remaining in the slot, they pushed Christian Kirk out to the outside and Agnew went to the slot. Yep. That's why he was able to get so many uh, points against the Eagles. So if, for some reason, Christian Kirk misses time. Jamal Agnew becomes the focal point of that passing game for all practical purposes, at least in that that Christian Kirk type of role. And we saw him, you know, last week with what he could do with that. He was relatively good. Should honestly should have had a third touchdown, but he Trevor Lawrence overthrew the ball. Um, so I think Agnew is interesting as a handcuff, as a handcuff if you have like a super deep bench or just someone to keep an eye on if Christian Kirk were to get hurt. I agree. And, and then the last thing too, is that that was a good point that Kirk was pushed outside. I do think if, if, and when Kirk does move to the outside like that, like if Zay Jones, Marvin Jones misses time, we might have to downgrade him a little because just through his career, he's, he just hasn't been as productive on the outside for, you know, he's a guy who can play both, which I think is a reason why Jacksonville really liked him. Um, and I, I'm not suggesting that you just ignore him on those weeks, but I think it's maybe a little bit of a downgrade because he's just he's a lot better in the slot. Agreed. Um, somebody who I'm buying is David Njoku. I mentioned him, um, you know, before the season. He, he just has a guy that I've always liked and basically been wrong on up until this point. But I just love the uh, you know the metrics and and athleticism and size, et cetera. Um, he's only like tight end 13 right now, I believe, but he has 17 targets in the last two weeks, which I think is right up there with, uh, it's one less than Kelsey has 18. Andrews has 18. Um, obviously, I mean, Hawkins went, Hawkinson went berserk last week and he's, he still has 16 targets in the last two weeks. So 17 targets for Njoku. It seems like a point of emphasis to try to, you know, really start involving him in this offense in an offense that has been functioning fairly well. I mean, the running game, Nick Chubb is, is balling, but outside of Amari Cooper, they just don't have a lot of pass catchers, right? So there's opportunity for Njoku and he's been on the field a lot. He now has 17 targets in the last two weeks. Uh, 89 receiving yards in week three, 73 in week four, and then he scored a touchdown as well in week three. So, um, over the last two weeks, he's he's really uh, just taken on that kind of pure wide receiver or that pure tight end one type of role. He's tight end three over that you know the last couple of weeks, and that includes obviously Hawkinson going absolutely bonkers. So, um, you know, with this type of volume, I think he can be. I don't know that he's necessarily going to push that elite tier, but I think he can be like a mid to, you know, a mid tight end one at least. 
does Watson coming back concern you at all? As you know, Rusty hasn't hasn't really practiced in ten weeks. Comes off the bench like is he still is he going to target Njoku like Brissett does, or is Njoku just like part of the system at this point? Well, it's funny you ask because I got some pushback that with Brissett in we couldn't like Njoku as much, right? Turns out Brissett loves tight ends, so and so now it's like oh oh it's just like Brissett feeding him, but. To answer your question, I, I'm the thing I'm mostly concerned about is Deshaun Watson likes to throw the ball downfield, right? Like he likes to push it and throw it deep. So that would be my main concern. I do think there will be some rust there. But ultimately, I mean, he's a good quarterback. If, Nj- if Njoku keeps up this pace, like, he's going to target him and utilize him. And Njoku, like, you know, he's not somebody who just runs routes within 10 yards. Like, he, he can, you know, split out wide. He can run downfield etc so i'm not i'm not really worried about that um do you have i have a sell real quick i'm just going to mention him because i've mentioned him a lot before and that's austin eckler although he had a big week i think it just gives you an opportunity to sell i think he'll have some of these weeks i don't think i mean three touchdowns is is kind of ridiculous you probably won't see that at least not often but they came from, I think, 10, 14, and 20 yards out. He did receive seven red zone touches um, compared to just four through the first three weeks. But he still doesn't have a touch inside the five-yard line, and I'm still skeptical that he's going to get the the work around the goal line if and when that time comes. Remember, they still want to limit his usage and touches. So to me, this is the outlier. I think most people see it and say, oh, he bounced back. We're back, baby. To me, like this is the outlier. I would use this opportunity to try and sell him. Um, he's going to have a pretty safe floor with PPR, just catching passes, just because he's very good at that, and he'll break off some big plays. So I'm not trying to like sell him for just nothing or 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 super cheap, you know. But I think he's somebody that I would try to sell if you can get one of those other top tier running backs. I think for my sell, uh, I'm going to kind of match it when I'm buying the Jacksonville offense. I'm selling the Arizona offense. Arizona has the hardest remaining schedule at all positions for the remainder of the year. And one of the interesting things about Arizona is through the first four weeks, they've been the worst first half football team by in terms of points scored in the league. But in the second half, they're one of the best. That's eventually going to catch up with them. So, when you're going against all these really good teams and you're not able to score in the first half, you're going to get put away and teams are going to get locked in and they're going to lock down. They're going to, they're not going to let you score. DeAndre Hopkins is coming back. I'm interested to see how Hollywood Brown then is affected by that. You know, we, we know historically of the Cardinals second half season struggles. Anyway, a couple of years ago, they started out, was it seven and oh, eight and oh, they, I think they ended yep. the year eight and eight or nine and seven, something like that. So under Cliffs Kingsbury, who's an absolutely awful play caller, the Cardinals have historically had second half struggles. And right now they're playing their worst football in the first half of every single game. And they have the hardest remaining schedule at each position for the rest of the way. I just, if you could flip Kyler for someone in the same tier, like a Jalen, a Lamar, even if you have to give like Kyler and I don't know, just Gabe Davis for Josh Allen, if you could just somehow flip, you know, him for one of those guys in the same tier. I would look to do so. Same thing with Hollywood. 
you can get like a Pittman, AJ Brown, something like that. So, yeah, Hollywood has been pretty good, but the volume for one, it's mostly based on volume thus far. And a lot of that is that, like you said, that like late game production. And we know that um, Hopkins is going to be back soon. So, um, I don't disagree with that. I think a couple more real quick. Another sell would be Antonio Gibson. Um, really, he has not been great outside of, I mean, he was boosted by like 70 receiving yards in week one. Since then, he's been very pedestrian, and we have Brian Robinson likely being activated this week. Um, if not, probably next week. So I'm definitely looking to sell Gibson. Uh, and then... One more buy real quick would be Ramondre Stevenson. I think he's really coming on. He has, I mean, Damian Harris has been around and still been good. Uh, but Stevenson carried eight times in week one, nine in week two, and then week three, 12, week four, four. So his his carries have gone up, but also his targets. Um, he has four receptions in each of the last two games. He had eight targets last week and then five the week before compared to, I think Harris had like two, he had one, one, and then three. So he's at, Harris had four targets in the last two games compared to like 13 for Stevenson. So um, I just, I like Stevenson. I think he's the more explosive player than Harris. They'll both be involved, but I think it's a good time to buy him. And um, they also get a pretty good schedule coming up. I mean, they have the Lions this week who is, yeah, Steve, Stevenson should run wild this week. Yeah. So. Oh, one other guy that I want to run by you as far as the sell goes is Najee Harris. Uh, Ron Stewart tweeted this this morning. He said Najee Harris has an 8.7% target share, which is good for 28th among running backs. Last season, he was at 14.5% target share, which was fifth. The only other running backs I could find in my database with that kind of decline are below year one and year two. Sometimes you need talent to sustain volume. The other three running backs uh, for his historical comps on on Najee with his lack of production or trending of production going down from year one to year two have been Carrion Johnson, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Trent Richardson. Oof. Yikes. Now you stack that on top of a conversation we were having in the Discord, I think it was last week, uh, Hoagie, I... I and I forget who else was there. I don't know if you happen to catch that, but we were talking about Brian Robinson because you just brought him up. And <clears throat> I had said before last year, before Brian Robinson even played his week one game at Alabama of his senior season, I had made the statement on a different podcast that I didn't think the talent gap between Brian Robinson and Nashi Harris was that big. Hoagie uh, last week sent a tweet uh, in the Discord saying that there were many on the Alabama staff that would have rather played Brian Robinson over Najee Harris while they were both there because they also felt like Brian Robinson was the better football player between the two. So that being said, I am very excited to see what Brian Robinson can bring to the table. I do think he's a very underrated pass catcher. No, he doesn't have the home run speed, but again, he fits that, that J Rob, that Javante mold. Like the fundamentals are so elite it's just what football teams want, the pass pro, being able to read, get north and south. It's it's you know, it's those things is what makes running back special. I think the speed is a bonus. So 
I think Najee Harris is not only a sell in redraft, but he's probably a sell in dynasty because right now it's looking like the outcome for him is that he's probably just not good. Yeah, I agree. And I, I hate to keep saying this, but this is a guy that I I don't have any of because I was saying this like last year. You and me both. That's why year. we went yeah, Javante. Exactly. We talked about it quite a bit. Um, I did see that conversation about Brian Robinson. I was, I was catching up on it after and and it it makes sense it's it's kind of crazy but I mean yeah I just don't think Najee's that good there was a trade in one of my leagues my main league which is standard scoring so running backs are always like running backs with volume are always like big in that league right but a guy traded CEH and his 2023 first for Najee and people like he was trying to get off CEH, so doing the right thing in that sense, like selling, trying to sell high on CEH. But he made this move, and people were like, like I think people were like, oh, he got Najee, like he's a contender, like etc. And I was like, they're like the same, like they're like the same guy in terms of value, and yeah. like he gave a first, so I would just rather have that side. Like at least CEH is putting up numbers right now. Like, yep, I, I don't want anything to do with Najee, like not at all. I'm, I don't, I don't either. And and th- this was the issue I had with him coming out. He's always going to get caught from behind because at least, J- yep. I mean, we saw two weeks ago, James Robinson took a 50-yarder to the house. Yeah. Najee Harris was never taking a 50-yarder to the house. I believe his longest career run at Alabama was like 43 yards or something like that. And he got caught from behind and he was wide open. And yep. he gets tackled way too easily for someone his size. Yep. Which is just alarming. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm out on Najee. He's an easy sell easy like yeah just whatever like and and again like i said this at the top of the show the steelers o-line is good this year that's not an issue so last year he had volume and poor efficiency this year he has less volume and his efficiency is even worse than it was last year that's an issue and we knew the we knew the target volume would come down yes so that's that was easy to see coming so yeah i i don't like selling players low but like dude i yeah. don't want anything to do with it like i'm just trying to I get out for nausea you're trying yeah like you said try to get out and get what you can yep um what about do you have any like big surprises have you thought about like who your biggest surprises are through four weeks i mean four weeks into the season gives us a pretty good you know sample size and and just kind of i guess like enough to really see the trends and really see the writing on the wall and, and who's being used which way and, and that sort of thing. Is there anything that maybe you like, wow, like this guy's moved way up my rankings, uh, anything like that? I'm surprised by Chris Olave's production to start the year. It's been pretty fantastic. You know, I believe he's top five in air yards and didn't he lead the league in receiving yards through four weeks? I, I believe so. It's just been really kind of outstanding what he's been able to do, especially running next to Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry. Like he is a very heavily targeted player in that offense. So I am pleasantly surprised by what he's been able to do. I, I figured it would come. I just didn't know it would be this early. It's kind of the same thing with Garrett Wilson. Yeah, I agree. Olave is somebody I'm, I'm trying to buy in Dynasty for sure. Um, I, my issue is still Jameis Winston. And the Saints don't even own their first round pick this year. Philadelphia does. So I don't know if the team is going to be able to get any better than what it is now until at least 2024. 
Don't you think they can go get like a Jimmy Garoppolo? Like surely, I mean, I love Winston as much as the next guy, but like you're just spinning your wheels with him. And not that Garoppolo, you're not doing that, but like, I don't know. I'd rather have a guy like Garoppolo um, try to win with him than Jameis, but it's, it's possible. I mean, there's a lot of different scenarios. You know, you got guys like Gardner Minshew and yeah, there's a free agent next year. Tyler Huntley is probably accessible in a trade. Yep. Uh, Lamar Jackson hasn't signed a contract extension. He wants to go to Miami, apparently. So Tua and New Orleans would make a lot of sense in that Drew Brees mold. They kind of been there, done that. True. Uh, obviously, I'm just making that up. Right. But air, I but think... I'm just saying th- there are definitely options for them that you know don't involve. Yeah, I I think that's the takeaway because in the past it was like, man, if you don't have a quarterback, like you got to try to get the top pick and draft the one good quarterback in this class or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there's just more options now. Not that they're always great, but like Carson there's Wentz. more moving parts. Yeah. Carson, Carson Wentz is a free agent next year. We know. And plus then we know that, he'll, you know, the saints would be good for like the first three games and then just completely fall off a cliff. So if that's, yeah, he's that's so bad. Wentz is MO. He, and like, not to get on this soapbox, but after a few weeks, it was like Carson Wentz is playing really good football. Like, yeah, he does that. Like the first few weeks every year. Um, one guy I want to mention for a surprise, it might not be a surprise to a lot of people, but for me, Amon Ross St. Brown is the guy that's like moving way up. Like I was not buying into him. I mean, we talked about him. I had him as somebody who was being drafted inside the top 24 that wouldn't finish there. I mean, he's wide receiver seven and like points overall. And he didn't even play last week. Um, I mean, he's good. I think he's just good, man. And I don't, I don't know that – I mean, he's not going to be this good, I don't think. But, like, he's not going away either. Yeah. Um, I really like Jamison Williams. I, I don't – yeah, I don't think uh, St. Brown's going to go anywhere. But I am interested to see because we've talked about this, you know, many times. Elijah Moore, superstar rookie wide receiver last year. Garrett Wilson, first-round pick, top-10 pick this year. Absolutely. Yeah. He's just absorbed him. Devontae Smith, first-round pick next year. Send a first-round pick this year plus for A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown has just absorbed Devontae Smith for the most part, except for the one massive game he had against Washington. So while guys like Elijah Moore and Devontae Smith aren't going away, I am wondering if because what Detroit paid to come up, I think it was from 32 because they had two. Yeah. To come all the way up to top twelve or whatever it was to get Jamison Williams, is it he not necessarily going to absorb St. Brown? I just wonder if it caps the ultimate ceiling. It probably does, and I still, I definitely would still rather have Jamison. And I'm not, I'm not like in on Amonra at this point, especially now with his price. But I'm not in. But he's just a guy that like, wow, like I'm just, I've just been impressed with him, but. I think he's gonna. He has, he has up, looked good. I can't I deny. I think he's it. gonna end up as like a Tyler Boyd, right? Like good player, um, consistent, reliable. He'll have good games slash good years. But if there's, you know, if they're adding Jamison Williams and uh, you know these other targets around him, he's going to probably take a backseat to like more explosive guys. The one thing I will say is that if you are a Lions fan, you are a St. Brown owner, owner, I would prepare for a new starting quarterback that's a rookie next year. And that yep. could potentially affect some of the production. I've seen a lot of mocks where Will Levis ends up in Detroit. I do like Levis. He is a developmental type guy. He doesn't suck. I've seen people say that, but he is going to require work. So 
you know, there is a chance if it's not CJ Stroud or Bryce Young that, you know, the Lions offensive skill players could, you know, lose some production next year, unless they choose to roll Jared Goff out one more year and let the rookie sit. So. Yep. Um, one other thing I was going to mention real quick, Damian Pierce has been really good the last few weeks. I bet him as rookie of the year, um, like right after the draft at like, I don't even remember what the odds were, but they're like plus like a billion, 12 times what they are hard yeah. now. So I'm pretty excited about that. He's looked really good the last couple of weeks. So he's a guy that's been pretty good and on the radar moving up. So I uh, just wanted to mention him as well. Anything in particular you're looking for in week five? I know I'm looking for the Broncos running back usage is one thing, but um, anything you're keeping an eye on specifically that the folks out there should know? Well, I had JT Pittman and Javante all playing Thursday, and now I'm just down to Pittman. So, ouch! Yeah. And he's going to be that's a little sad, and he'll, and he'll probably see a ton of Sertan. And yeah. Matt Ryan hasn't been good, so I I'm just hoping for ten points. You know, if I get double digits, I'll be happy. As for other things, though, I think I like I said at the top, I'm I'm interested to see this uh, George Pickens Deontay target share. You know, if that does continue to sway in favor of Pickens and not Deontay uh, Pittsburgh and Pickett have a tough task in his first career start at Buffalo. I'm sure the bills are going to run ragged over them. And then I, I, I want to see if ETN I'm, I'm still waiting for for his game where he's just the guy and they have a favorable game script this weekend against Houston. So there's a good chance that J Rob is going to you know be the guy. Cause I would assume that they will lead most of that game, but I, I just need to see I need to see more from ETN. I want to see him really just take one in the house. Yep. That would be I mean, I have J Rob in a lot of leagues, so I I you know, I would like to see J Rob find the end zone, but that would be good to see from ETN for sure. So I can get on board with that. Um I'm also keeping an eye on the Falcons running back situation. Obviously CPAT's on IR and um I like Caleb Huntley a bit. Um I think Tyler Algier's good, so you know, it'll probably just be a committee and whatever, but I picked up, I bid a lot of money on Huntley today across dynasty leagues because he's whatever. I mean, he's a rookie and who knows if he takes that job, you never know what could happen. Right. He kind of reminds me, and I hate to say this, I tweeted it out with warning signs. I, I saw that he, he kind of reminds me of James Robinson on tape. Like he doesn't have a ton of like long speed, but he good vision squeaks through holes. And I, 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 I struggle. Because he only played 22% of the snaps last week. Yeah. Do you think that goes up with Tyler Algier? I mean, because Patterson's coming back. It's not like he's done for the year. Right. Yeah. It, if I'm not mistaken, they have pretty good schedule across the next four weeks. But it's one of those things where, like, you, I mean, four weeks, you never know, right? And Patterson was being used, like, less in the receiving game. Maybe if they start to get confidence in Algier and or Huntley, maybe they start to say, okay, like, these guys can work on early downs and um, I mean, they're not going to take Patterson off the field, but like, you know, we can move Patterson around in the slot. Um, he can be the third down pass catcher, things like that. Like I wouldn't be surprised if one of these guys starts getting more early down work even later in the season. Um, so I'm kind of keeping an eye on that. Uh, and then I also just want to see JK Dobbins another week. I mean, he scored twice last week, uh, which kind of boosted his production. Gus Edwards has been activated as well. 
Has it? Okay. And it was about that time. So uh, keep an eye on that running back situation. Um, but I ju- Justice Hills look really good too. He has. He has. So it's, yeah, it's not a clean backfield for Dobbins by any means. And I don't, I mean, he's, like I said, he scored two touchdowns, but it wasn't like he did. I mean, he still is averaging like just over three yards a carry. Like it's not like he did anything that great, but he did catch four passes. And, you know, the narrative's always been that he, he won't catch passes in that backfield. So, um, that was good to see because that was something I was arguing for back when he was my guy before he got hurt, um, that they intended to use him more in the passing game. So, anyways. Um, I'd like to see TJ Moore get traded. Yes, I agree. Where to Kansas City? I think that's Kansas, what I've seen. Kansas City and Green Bay are the two ones that come to mind immediately. Yeah, Green Bay would be sweet. Oh, speaking of Green Bay, I can't believe I didn't mention this before. The roles have been defined, I think, for those two rookie wide receivers. Yep. Romeo Dobbs is playing the Devontae Adams role, and Christian Watson is playing the Alan Lazard role. So I think Dobbs is the guy you want long term. Obviously, we have, you know, four week sample size. Both guys are rookies. But it's just it's just really interesting how that's how that's I don't want to say flipped, but just kind of how that's gone since the offseason. It is, and there was so much buzz about Dobbs, and I liked him coming out of Nevada, but, like, it was just, like, how could you, like, realistically value him over Christian Watson at that point? Like, it was just, like, hard to believe, and so, but we're seeing it, and he looks good. I like him, yep. so I agree with you, but don't, you know, if you have Christian Watson, don't go, you know, cutting him or just giving him away. Like, he's still, right. he'll have value in that that type hey, of role he's getting rushes out of the backfield too so True. He, he might have something you know his package might be a little more diverse than what alan Lazard's is that's true that's a good point um breeze hill breeze hall trending up too big time and on that he's taking over um all right on that we'll get out of here it's been a really fun four weeks matt we're, we're doing a lot of stuff here um you got another article you want to you want to plug? You got one coming up here with the. the I, I still haven't gotten to the Matt Corral one. I, I had a long weekend, still dealing with these COVID symptoms. They flared up again. They were getting to me. But yeah, I'll have that one out this week along with uh, another fantasy forecast on Friday. I don't know who that one's on yet. Nice. Okay. Well, yeah. Keep uh, keep it locked into our Twitter um, at filmalytics underscore. Um, my DFS model did post last week. That's on filmalytics.org, so check that out. Um, I'll be updating it probably tomorrow for the upcoming week. Head on over to patreon.com backslash filmalytics where we keep all of our good stuff. Hit us up. Uh, join our Discord. That's free. A lot of fun discussion there. Um, and thanks, for, thanks Discord, for listening. Discord link is now available on the website as well. Oh, good call out. Yeah, so go check it out there. The Discord's a lot of, I mean, there's so much happening in there. I can't keep up. Like it's yeah. it's fun, but um it's yeah, a lot of a lot of good conversation. So check that out and um we'll see you back here next week on the Filmalytics podcast where we combine film and analytics to bring you the best results. Yeah.